from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I am editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And we are going to talk cultivation today. Big topic on everybody's mind. And we've got two really impressive guests to do this with. Josh Rubin and Milan Patel are here with us. And Josh is the Senior Vice President Cultivation for Cureleaf, which is a massive vertically integrated cannabis company that operates in 23 states. And Milan Patel is the CEO of Pathogen DX, which is an Arizona-based biotechnology company, which has developed a multiplexed DNA-based pathogen testing platform. The two companies work together, and we're going to talk about how they work together in a moment. Josh and Milan, thank you for joining the show. Thank You're you. Welcome. Yep. Nice to have you. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. So let's get into each of you. If you could explain to our uh, listeners what you do for the companies that you work for. Josh, you want to go first since you're part of the, the front end of the supply chain? Sure. Yeah, sounds good. So yes, again, I'm, I'm Josh Rubin. Uh, yeah, I run uh, cultivation for uh, all of Cureleaf, which, uh, yeah, we started in the Northeast of the United States and through a medical foundation and kind of expanded from there nationally. Really what I do is, you know, support and coordinate almost, I would say up to 800 people now. Our team is growing every day. So a big part of what I do is plant focused. A big part of what I do, or I'd say even a bigger part of what I do is people focused, right? So that's really kind of the quest that we're on currently building a national structure to deliver consistent products in every state nationally, right? Both in preparation for uh, whatever the, the next form of decriminalization and legalization that takes place, but most importantly, to ensure to the patient or consumer that they're getting consistent quality products and throughout each state. Things are labeled the same. We trust the potency. We trust the terpene. It's very important for us as a company that we're operating much like you know we're a cannabis company first and foremost, but we're operating with the rigor of a pharmaceutical or CPG company as well. So consistency of delivery where it comes to flour, formulated products, is really our core focus, as Milan will tell you in a second, you know, what his platform does is allows a company like us to effectively operate to the uh, state standards we're, we're held to across the country. Great. Milan, what do you tell us a little bit more about what you do with Pathogen and what Pathogen does? Absolutely. Thank you, John. And that's a great sort of segue to add to what Josh sort of said is we've been in the, in the sector for about six years now. We started off as a, as a biotech, biotechnology uh, company to develop a platform that can test for pathogens or microbials, if you may, which are bacterial and fungal organisms that can grow on the plant. So how it relates to what Josh was saying is anything that is grown in soil has a tendency to grow bacteria such as salmonella or, or E. coli or even aspergillus, these fungal organisms. So there's a prevalence of roughly 50 sort of pathogens that can sort of grow in an, inside a facility and also wind up on the actual plant, the product. And so this, the, the relationship of, of us, you know, with, with, uh, with John's company is essentially helping identify those, those pathogens earlier, not just as part of the regulated channel of ensuring that the product is safe of the highest quality and protects the public health, 
for consumers, but also in terms of environmentally making sure none of those pathogens wind up on the plant that are non-regulated, that kill the crop. John owned, uh, runs a lot of operations. It's a super high value added crop, thousands of square feet, if you may. And if you have an outbreak, like for example, COVID, it can wipe out, economically wipe out his entire crop. So that's what we do is we're able to identify these pathogens in a matter of six hours from the time you, you sort of sample it, as opposed to three days where Julius Petri in 1890 invented the Petri dish. And if John John had to rely on the Petri dish to get a result, it would take him seven days. And if there's an outbreak of aspergillus, John will be on the sort of on a hot seat explaining to his boss what the heck is going on. So that's how we relate to each other in terms of the tech coming into the cultivation facility and ensuring we can do the job super fast, super affordable and super accurate. Now, is this testing required by governments in each state or is this something that Curaleaf has decided to do as a sort of way of self-preservation and ensuring safety. So yeah, every state has its own regular regulatory framework. And like he he sort of said, there's potency, there's pesticides, residual solvents. So so you know it's a complex business, but it's a super regulated business. Outside of probably the state level, people think that the cannabis industry doesn't have any regulations. That's not true. In fact, it has sometimes in, incredibly more rigorous and stricter regulations on that front. And Josh can comment on that. But in the case of regulatory testing, every state has put in a framework to ensure that the the product goes through a chain of custody, goes through testing. There's a certificate of assurance or authenticity that gets reviewed by the regulators before the product can be moved on into a dispensary to be sold at the retail level and can be consumed even if you're on a medical side. And then on the unregulated level, it's a sort of a CGMP. He talked about that where you're sort of monitoring the environment that the plant's growing in. Now I'm going to hand this off to Josh so he can add some more color to this. Yeah, each state has a different threshold for what we're calling, you know, microbial contamination. It could be usually just talked to as very general colony forming units. Doesn't really matter the fungus or bacteria that we're talking about. Most state tests say, oh, this much, there's this many colony forming units of bacteria, this many colony forming units of fungus, right? And certain states have more rigorous thresholds, but I mean, everyone listening should be very, very confident that, I mean, cannabis is tested unlike any food product, right? Anything that people put in their bodies has their thresholds are so much higher than what we're dealing with. At least in the legal market. We don't know exactly. so about, much about the illicit market. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. So what Milan is saying, his technology, and I believe your technology is a QPCR based, Milan. Is it a, a DNA yeah, or it, RNA? It, it's sort of a, it's, it's a PCR based as opposed to QPCR yeah. is a different type of DNA based technology. Ours is like an endpoint PCR like uh, next generation sequencing. So it's it's super accurate. And yeah. Right. So like what, yeah, what's great about that for us is say we're using just a standard state, te- state testing. You know, we submit something, Millen said, like two weeks later, we get a pass fail, right? What Millen's technology is really helpful in doing is the diagnostics within a facility, right? Say we're trying to track down where a contamination is occurring. And we've had to do this in quite a few facilities, right? And really understand where in the growth cycle. So you may do kind of a, a general environmental study where you could test uh, various surfaces, say within an indoor grow room. You could also do a time sequence study, right? Where you're over time kind of sampling plant tissue, trying to see where 
you know, this pathogen is being introduced in the life cycle. For example, we were able to, in one of our facilities, using similar technology, deduce that it was kind of the transition really kind of early to mid flower. We were getting uh, not visible because, of course, you know, uh, flower rot is pretty easy to see, but not, you know, kind of uh, not visible to the eye flower rot that was causing these failures essentially that we're getting. So we're able to find out where and when that was happening. Then even though our environmental readouts were telling us that our humidity was in range, we did a much deeper dive. We tested that with another instrument. We were able to deduce that our environmental controls at that time point were not where we wanted them to be. And our humidity, in fact, was too high going into the middle of flower. So we're actually getting um, those fungal botrytis spores, you know, kind of latent within the flower that then were growing out when the environmental conditions were supportive of it. So, you know, many of your listeners may say, well, of course, dude, you know, <laughs> get your humidity in check, right? But it's also good to look at um, the time sequence of these things. And that's where this these kind of increased diagnostic capabilities become really important to actually solve what and where the contamination is happening within the facility. Are there certain fungi and bacteria that are unique to cannabis, or is it just anything that it is grown in soil is subject to the same type of pathogen? I'll have Josh answer that because he's actually got the hands-on experience to see what what is different in cannabis. <laughs> uh, yeah, for the for the uh, few exceptions, some certain kind of root louses, things like that are cannabis specific. Um, there's a specific cannabis uh, root, root aphid, I believe. Most of the other pathogens really are the same that you would encounter in other crops. I mean, we're looking at kind of the worst offenders on the fungal side, you know, powdery mildew and botrytis. The insect side, we're really looking at, you know, spider mites, broad mites, et cetera. So, you know, we encounter these in other crops at, at scale, which can become difficult in controlled environment ag, any type of CEA or what we call kind of classic indoor is that uh, left unchecked to some of the natural balances you have in an agricultural ecosystem, these can explode, right? That's always the the risk. I mean, if we keep our grow rooms clean enough, nothing ever happens, which is great. But, you know, we all, we all know that's a, a wish at times, right? So generally, these are pretty standard pathogens. They just get an opportunity to kind of explode without real competition kind of in, in it, it probably most the systems we're talking about are indoors. So uh, very, very similar pathogens that you'd encounter in other crops, just different dynamics in terms of population and control, et cetera. Once you detect them, what do you do to kill them off or to stop their spread that's safe? Very good question, right? So we kind of hit on it earlier with most fungal pathogens. Really, it's all about not allowing the environmental conditions to get to a point where these spores are allowed to proliferate, right? These fungal spores are everywhere. They're, <laughs> they're in every building. They're in our house. They're on our bodies. That's kind of the, just, I won't go down a rabbit hole here too quickly, but sometimes when you're using uh, PCR technology, it's almost problematic because you get hits everywhere because they're so sensitive. You get every little bit of DNA that's out there. So number one with, I mean, not just fungal pathogens, but also kind of any uh, pest really is create the correct environmental conditions to not allow for this pest to proliferate, right? So I, I spoke about humidity early and control of most importantly powdery mildew, even though that's fairly easy to control some very, very safe compounds and spray, but really for botrytis as well. Uh, same thing with 
spider mites, the bane of every indoor grower, really making sure that temperatures don't spike, that plants under unnecessary water stress that will weaken the own plant's inherent immunity and allow for these pests to proliferate. So number one is just make sure environmental control, plant nutrition, and plant health are maximized. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing what a healthy plant can handle in terms of these kind of external pathogens we're talking about or even internal viroids. You know, you'll hear a lot about hop latent virus and it can be devastating, but also a healthy plant can handle a certain viral load without much risk to yield or potency. So really, yeah, right environmentals and then keep the plant healthy with nutrition. And then C obviously is is spraying, right? There's a variety of compounds that we're allowed to use on cannabis. It kind of varies state by state, very mature states with rec programs, California, Oregon, uh, Colorado will actually have a list of approved products. Other states default to EPA minimum risk. Some people call it 25B, variety of oils, kind of citrus oil, uh, neem oil, pepper oil. Sometimes people call these the salad dressing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, sprays. <laughs> so our, our approach at CureLeaf is obviously first and foremost, you know, we're yeah, patient and consumer safety is number one, right? So kind of going down the list, yeah, make sure our environmentals are on point, make sure the plants are healthy, and then only when necessary, use appropriate sp- sprays as minimally as possible. And certainly depending by state, if you're minimum risk, I mean, it's even more strict than organic, really, right? There are certain situations that have to be dealt with at certain times, right? Especially sanitation kind of between rounds. And that's where maybe perhaps the term sustainable is more appropriate than organic. But that's generally approach that we take. But yeah, first and foremost, you'd be amazed how much you can control with the right environmental conditions and the right plant health. And that's kind of the front line for defense against these pathogens. And Milan, your company comes in as they're growing, but also after, like at when the after the crop is when it's going to market. Do you also test it then? So tell me when you guys come in to test. Yeah, our like Josh said, our front line of defense is first the folks that deal with the growers, the cultivators are every lab. We have over a hundred lab that uses our technology across 26 different states. So you have samples that were pulled from John's facilities that get transported by a chain of custody that goes to a lab. And that that lab will take that sample if it's a flower sample and get tested. The second thing we do is we offer up through these labs and and directly to uh, these multi-state operators like John's company is basically the environmental component of it. He's got the heartbeat of exactly how we want to deliver a sustainable industry. And what I mean by that is the everything you talked about around, around environmental control is really the blood life of, of ensuring that this plant is absolutely free of any kind of pathogens. And, I, and, and, I, and so how we do it is we work with the growers themselves to offer up air testing, for example. The airflow in an internal grow is very critical where he sort of mentioned spor- sporulation, meaning the spores are traveling from the air vents onto the canopy. So you want to understand that, that you want to characterize and understand that dynamic of when and how that occurs and how frequently relative to humidity, light, temperature, and, and sort of air, if you may, so airflow. So there's surface testing, there's water testing, and there's air testing that our, our technology can do within a six-hour period that he doesn't have to wait seven days for the air to get kicked around, you know, in seven days of sparulation to happen. And when you have the wrong not the right environmental controls in place that can wreak havoc. So directly, we work with the growers themselves, as well as directly with the labs to offer up that full full capability 
And, you know, we pressed upon the environmental thing. It is the heartbeat of everything that this industry needs to do, primarily because if you look at these other industries, they used antimicrobials, right? They've used it. And minimizing the use of chemicals is key primarily because just like in, in the food industry, we're now having challenges about antimicrobial resistance. Okay. So perpetuating that is a key issue that we as our, our industry can treat, truly learn and leap ahead by not repeating the same mistakes if we can. By, so that, that whole environmental control is sort of what we need to get right. And if we do this collectively, like us partnering with John's company, Josh's company, at the end of the day, gives you that characterization of what's your environment like day in, day out? What's the seasonality? What happens when temperature changes? What happens when humidity drops by you know, a few percent? How do you optimize that growth condition to prevent the pathogen from actually growing on the plant or winding up on the plant environmentally? And that's sort of where the focus needs to be. It's interesting, you know, because we think about indoor growing is, oh, it's so controlled. It's like a laboratory where, where we, are, we wear all this GMT material. It's that seasonal variation. Sometimes we'll see it, even humidity on the East Coast, where our environmentals completely change depending on our capacity of our HVAC to deal with that external load. So to actually map the seasonality even of an indoor facility is very important. And you kind of understand the limitations and capabilities of your environmental controls. And it can obviously follow the microorganisms as well. So I think that's just a very important point that Millen brought up is even though you know you have an indoor facility, there is a seasonal cadence generally to some of your environmental. That's very important point, especially dealing with older facilities. So, Yeah, I think one, one also thing to add to Josh's point is, is that this is a unique opportunity. It's a great opportunity for our industry, honestly, because I, I fundamentally believe because our technology is also in the food safety side. So they, on the USDA side, they mandate what is called HACCP, H-A-C-C-P, which is Hazard Analysis Critical Control Points. It's effectively what Josh was mentioning is all, it's all environmental uh, they have zone ones to zone fives. We have to swab, like, for example, any food touching surfaces daily, and they're mandated to do that. Now, in future, as things get federalized, on the non-medical side, it may become USDA and HACCP may be mandated for all growers. So doing these things now in baby steps and getting those practices and SOPs in place will just get us, will be more of a natural shoehorn into that rather than a shock to the system. And that's where we need to be, right, at the end of the day. And if it's on the medical side, it'll be CGMP and a significant amount of oversight from a regulatory perspective around the controls there with Josh's grows that are growing medical product at the end of the day. So a lot of this is our ability to evolve with these practices and recognizing that if we do these things in a lockstep fashion, we'll, we won't be you know, shocking the system. It won't be people pushing back and will be as a culture, as a human culture, will be more adaptable to those changes that the federal level asks for in other in other industries. Josh may have more to, more to add here as well, too. Oh, yeah. Always have to be prepared for the future. <laughs> and whatever form that may take, alternate yeah. paths. <laughs> so Curaleaf is a huge, very successful company, makes a lot of revenue. I'm wondering for the people listening who, you know, might have small grows, or might be interested in getting into the cultivation business in general, is this, this sounds expensive or it sounds labor intensive without getting too much into like the details of all um, how much this costs. I mean, is this kind of technology available to anybody or is it sort of cost prohibitive in some ways? 
I can say it's available to really anybody and it's not cost prohibitive because if you look at the alternative of, of if you've got 50 pathogens flying around in a grow and you can run Petri dishes and it takes you seven days and you do triplicate testing, it's actually more cost prohibitive. We take one sample and in one sample, we can identify any one of the 50 within six hours. So our generally our tests are around $25 for all 50 pathogens. When you do the simple math, that's 50 cents a pathogen. So you can just like it. Yeah. And so the idea is not to over test it and over regulate the industry. The idea is to where's that sweet spot between testing in that sweet spot at where that you maintain that quality and safety as well as the environment and the growth conditions that Josh talked about. And I finding that harmonized air sweet spot is the key goal. So that on a go forward basis, you haven't swung the pendulum too far to the testing side of it and not too far to the untested side. So that's the place. So, you know, we, our test is pretty affordable given the fact that what we're doing. And then, you know, it generally, we said is we would swab, take one swab every 500 square feet, for example. That's not bad. You take 500 square feet of product in Josh's factories or in plant, uh, in his cultivation, one test at $25 with some labor, you're maybe paying about $50 total for 500 square feet. Not bad. What about once somebody takes, okay, so you guys have control of it over it in the growing process, but once somebody takes the weed home and has it, say, in a jar or, you know, in a pre-roll, is there anything you can do to avoid these kinds of pathogens infecting your cannabis after you distribute it to them? Is it susceptible to these bacteria and fungi once it's like sort of in your possession? Yeah, yeah. Very good question. So it's all about moisture, 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 right? So any legal product that's delivered will be at a specific percent moisture generally or below a certain threshold, right, of what they call water activity is kind of a food term for it. It's just how much water the flower, like you said, pre-roll has. I mean, hopefully we're somewhere between tw- uh, 10 and 12% moisture, a little lower is not the best product, a little higher gets a little risky, but yeah, try to keep it cool, dry place, slightly humidified to retain, you know, around 10 to 12% moisture. That's tough unless you have a home testing kit. I wouldn't expect anybody to do that, but just in general, keep it dry, right? That's number one thing. When you add water, you're essentially adding a potential activation, right? For spores that probably are not so much on the product, but yeah, like you said, just in transport, et cetera, once uh, say container of flowers opened and then it retains, you know, it's on a shelf somewhere, right? Spores can float down and it's going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen unless there's that requisite moisture to get sporulation. So really just be careful with moisture content, try to you know, maintain uh, without introducing any new moisture is probably the best approach. Great. Well, this has been really enlightening. Thank you both for taking the time to talk to us about this uh, topic. I learned a lot. You're welcome. Uh, Thank you for having us, Jonathan. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. 
Until next episode, we'll THC you later.